Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jared. Down underneath, we have the one and only South Jersey Jason. How are you today, sir? I am doing good, although my one eye looks smaller than the other eye. I don't know why. <laughs> you get another migraine, you fucker? No, no migraine. I just, uh, I just, uh, man, I gotta get, I just, like, I don't know. My sleeping, uh, four animals and the wife on the bed, it's hard. Kick them all out with the wife. <sighs> I'll kick the wife out, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's your call. Uh, yeah. Mine, yeah, she, uh, she was dealing with the dog last night. Oh, okay. So let's uh, talk about the Anvilleville Horror documentary. Did you finish it? Not yet. Okay. Where are you at? Three. Episode three. Okay. I sort of finished the last episode. I just got to go back for the last 20 minutes. I fell asleep. So uh, what do you think of it so far? It's slow. I've, I have fallen asleep during it. The rotating fucking transitions do not need yeah. to be two minutes long. Right. And where do they find these fucking wackadoos? Like, like who? The oh, f- like the friends of uh, Ronnie f- DeFeo? The friends of the <laughs> DeFeo family. Yeah. Well, the whole family was destroyed. Was there an explosion? Is the fucking house still there, idiot? <laughs> right there means I want to hear nothing like about... one guy who's like, we don't talk about that. Yeah. We don't talk about that. Although, like, the, the friends of... Um... Was it Allison? No, what's her name? The oldest daughter? I can't think of her name. Oh, Jesus Christ, it just left me. Come on, you're the, the official. I know, the older daughter. The older daughter. Whatever her name is, like, what about them? Did you like their stories, though? Yeah, they're fine. But the yeah. second you say something stupid, I'm done listening to you. Yeah, I like how it it gave a really nice backstory to both the Lutzes and the DeFeos. And then how money hungry George got after yeah. the, the movie, you know, like I didn't I didn't realize he he let because oh I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And all of a sudden he's like mm-hmm. you know, and uh Christopher Quarantino, he friend requested me a couple of years on Facebook and I was trying to get him on the other podcast and he's like, Yeah, I'm all for it and then um he was trying yeah i know he was trying to make his own documentary so i guess this kind of fell into place big difference between him and danny yeah you know like he seems more grounded and they're both fucked up so just shows more evidence like what really still stays with me no matter what documentary you put out time and time again when they showed that gun in the sewer in queens it had the spent casings yeah. There was eight. I counted on the fucking screen. There was eight shots. So again, how did no one hear this gun? Mm-hmm. It was the same gun for all victims. So Herman Case is a fucking idiot because it was the same bullets. Right. How would they pass the gun down the stairs? Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right, right. Uh speaking of uh And then Ronnie DeFeo contradicted himself in the fucking thing. So he you can't listen to him either. No, because he went, no. yeah, shit was moved. I heard my mom tell me, oh, this is where the stupid ghost story came from. Idiot, you just fucking said this. Yeah. In this yeah. same interview. Yeah, I liked how, <laughs> how about his cellmate who was like in like 2004 and then he's got like this mop over hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, so the, the, the same question still exists and 
I'm still not satisfied. I like it just for like the archival stuff, things mm-hmm. that I've never seen. That was really cool. I a really lot of the that. a lot of the pictures and clips are really awesome. Like how the friend of the uh, the uh, Lutzes took like photos while they were like looking at the house and everything. Yeah. And the Camardis. I never. I've always heard about them, but I didn't know what they looked like. It was cool to see their interview. And uh, speaking of that, I came across on the real Amityville our facebook group today they're re-releasing the the book in a hardcover format beautiful illustrations and it's signed by that reporter woman um, oh okay yeah and it's up it's limited to 700 copies and daro i think her name was yeah and um i went on the website just to see how much it was and it's 135 dollars but it's beautiful though and when i went on earlier today there was 435 copies left oh so it's moving it's moving yeah so i gotta give a shout out to rick palton yeah you know i was just gonna bring that up i just had him on the haunts podcast because he went to uh got me a t-shirt fucking how's it it i'm a weird size so i'm gonna just start collecting them yeah so it's it'll be easier to collect i the like mugs i like the collar I'm... and the, the class, yeah it's like you know? very 70s yeah I, I, I did that yeah he sent me a picture uh i think on sunday and he's like i got him a 3x you think that'll fit i think i go i think i don't know I, like I it fits even... it's just short all my shirts yeah, are short though so there's you the, just, yeah my back is so fucking long it's retarded yeah. it drives me insane so um what did he go what did he go say he went to see the uh, haunted schoolhouse for the halfway oh, to Halloween nice. event. Okay, it's been on one of my bucket lists for a long time, and they blew him away. So nice. When, and when will that episode drop? Same time ours is. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, very very cool. A little a little friendly competition between the two. <laughs> always, I always. Some weeks are good for the weather one. Right. Uh, we've had a killer couple weeks. Thanks yeah, to... We... And again, if you're still watching, like, subscribe. We got a lot of shit coming. We already... Yeah. We got to work on dates for that. That's what we need to talk about yeah, at some de- point, de- too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we covered Amityville. I watched Evil Dead Rise over the weekend. And... Two thumbs up. Okay, wow. All right. Yeah, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I felt the pacing was slow at some times. They definitely left it open for another one. I heard that. A lot of um, homages to Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good. Uh, my favorite character in the movie was the youngest daughter. She was that act she was a good actress. Very good. So, but all like the, the the kids like the 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 because it was three kids the mom and then the aunt and they were all relatable you cool. know and I like that when you can relate to the character my only my only gripe is all that shenanigans that was going on the fourteenth floor how did no one else hear anything <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird because the opening of the movie is actually the ending of the movie. It's, it starts a day. Oh, okay. Yeah, it starts a day after, and then it goes like the you know the day before whatever. But um, yeah, fucking gore. I mean, it wasn't like gore porn, but there was one scene with that involves a cheese grater. I keep and, hearing oh. about a cheese grater. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, um, you know, it's streaming now. So definitely go check it out. 
I'm going to attempt to watch Renfield tonight. I'm feeling a little tired. But... Hey, you look a little tired, bro. Dude, I'm, yeah, I'm tired. These I'd, fucking dogs. I'd, are you going to buy Renfield or rent it? Oh, I'm going to rent it. Mm. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and then I'm also getting, I got a notification, my NECA Dracula is coming in the mail. It's uh, the Universal Dracula, and it's in black and white. So, which I I like, I dig the universal lines, and um, so that's pretty much it. I think if I watch anything, I watch anything else. I got Camp Crystal Lake in two weeks. Yep, two weeks. Two weeks from well, it'll be less than two weeks when this comes out. So, looking really forward to it. Um, hanging out with Dave Brown, and then uh, I've already priced out. Like I only need two autographs, but. The one thing that we're splitting three ways with a, a friend of ours is they're getting all the part two actors to reenact the um, the campfire scene from part two. And then I'm going to also have for $50, John Fury recite his famous monologue for part two. I'm going to give you straight about Jason, you know, that whole monologue. So and they record it. I thought that'd be pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Now, uh. Did you see the Steel City announcement? Oh, Marissa Tomei? Yeah. 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 I think that's bigger that's... than the key for Sutherland to me. It really is. <laughs> uh, well, no, I think it's bigger than Monster Mania's latest announcement. That oh, stupid God. riddle. That riddle was stupid, stupid, stupid. I figured it out. Like, it wasn't hard. <laughs> well, I didn't. Well, what threw me off was, okay, Ghostface is not a beast wielding a knife. Yeah. When I'm thinking of Beast, I'm thinking like a monster, you know? Um, I would go see Dermot Mulroney for Young Guns, not that crappy Scream Part 6, but, you know, all the younger generation, oh, Scream, Scream! Yeah. yeah. But that's my own, that's my opinion. I'm allowed to have it. Yep. Everyone's allowed to see I like the movie. I mean, it was good up until the the yeah, reveal. I know. And then, then, then he... Then he was a shitty actor too at that point too. He just uh, it was I too like, over the I top. I like Dermot Mulroney. Me too. It's just they gave him. I, he was overacting, and like I just like Dermot. What are you doing? We have <laughs> Rick Paulton speaking of the devil in our chat. Oh, look he at said Rick Renfield was pretty fun. Evil Dead was a lot better. Lots of action in Renfield. Huh, that's uh, cool. Well, thanks for joining, Rick. Yeah, thanks for hanging out, man. I'm wearing yeah. a shirt. And speaking of Rick, I wanna I wanna also just say, um, we tuned into that podcast this past Monday. Yes. And I have this I have to give it out to Death Curve Society. They kept it professional. Yep. They didn't like just it, say it wasn't to, a complete witch hunt and shit no. show and they you know, they, they just want what's right and I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah, and uh, also, Adam Marcus, I sent him a message, like, just thanking him for saying what he did at the beginning. Like, I finally, you know, even though, like, the people who know me in the inner circle know I had nothing to do with it, he made it known worldwide. Yeah. You know, which, because, you know, people run their mouth. I know. So, yeah, but... Um, so I talked with him and he's, he said, you know, you and I were both burned. Um, you know, I said, I hope you come out to the East coast one day cause I still have to meet you. And I said, if I know the promoter of the NJ and PA Harcon, if you want to come out, I will let him know to reach out to your booking agent. 
He said, I'd love to come out to HorrorCon and hang out with you. So I messaged Ryan Scott Weber and he's like, he wants to come out. I said, yeah. He's like, well, I do love Jason Goes to Hell. So who doesn't? Yeah. Oh, I know you don't, but I love it. (laughs) I mean, I, 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 I I hold it. It has a soft spot in me because it was the first Jason movie I saw in the theater. So, I mean, I like the look of Jason. Um, I never dogged it like people dog part five, you know, something different, something different. I just wish there was more Jason in it. Yeah, me know? too. That's that yeah. always. Yeah. But, you know, we're getting that documentary, hopefully by the end of this year, uh, Hearts of Darkness. Uh, it's going to be delayed because Adam had said he's going to be showing it at some film festivals. So oh, that's cool. But, well, yeah. Everything's going to be delayed now. This writer strikes. Fucking oh, up man, everything. I'm so pissed off. What was I? Uh. Uh, what was I mean? I know it's going to be delaying a lot of things, but like the entertainment articles were like making it sound like this, this the show's not coming back, and you think it gets canceled. Oh, so we know it's the writers' strike, and you know what? The writers deserve do deserve more. fucking a. Yeah, I'm all for it. Because Go if for it's it. Not, get your money, boys. Because if it's not, if it wasn't for the writers, these actors wouldn't have a job. Writing's a yeah. hundred times harder than acting. Trust me. Exactly, and these actors making a hundred million dollars, right. and these poor writers can't even like pay their rent. Yeah, like so, they yeah. got to be on three movies to actually make a profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm all for that because you know I'm not gonna say I've done acting, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot easier than the book I've been trying to write for ten fucking years. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, um, Dave Brown, my my good friend Dave Brown. He, you know, once he made his name was Jason, he was like, I'm going to take a step back because it was it took a lot out of him for like three years, you know. But since then, he's always been writing these uh, drafts for a p- potential story. And he's already made the announcement, which is already getting a little bit of buzz on Facebook. He came to me and said, what do you think of like a Friday the 13th meets Blair Witch Project? And I said, as as to what? And he said, like, a found footage. And I said, well, we were supposed to get a found footage Friday 13th movie, like, after the reboot. But it just, you know, they didn't go for it. And there are there is a little fan base with it. So <laughs> he sends me, like, two pages of a outline. And uh, it's basically going to take it's going to take place. Basically, it's going to take place with anything that had to do with part one and a little bit of part two, but not so much like, like, I don't want to give it too much away, but film school, film school students are making a documentary. Uh, It's going to take place like in 2017 and, um, you know, they, they go missing and we find the footage and whatnot. So he's got a little bit of buzz and someone on Facebook reached out to him and she happens to be a film student. So, and his director from his name was Jason's on board and who knows, maybe they'll but listen to what I'm saying is I can hold a mug too. Well, ready, watch, say- ready, watch. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be like, uh, they're in the diner and the, the, the documentarians are interviewing the patrons and they run into a grizzled old diner guy I'll tell you what happened. Those three hunters who went into the woods back in 1980, whatever, they never came back. <laughs> but yeah, I'll help out in any way, you know, you know me. And it's, you know, Dave got that. He just got the bug again, 
you know it happens man he's he's got a good mind when it comes to stories he he's sent me so many different summaries for different like shorts like he has this really cool texas chainsaw massacre one he would love to do and he actually had the mask built and it would be like a direct sequel from the original and forget the one we got on netflix this one's much cooler Mm. so all right anything else uh no i haven't really watched anything i just got out of prison um I no, repaired a work. machine in a. It was very orange is where, the new where, black. Where, where were you? I was in an Ohio women's reformatory prison. Oh, you were actually in a prison. Yeah, man, I was in a prison. <laughs> I thought you were just saying work. Oh shit! No, dude, I had to go because a lot of prisons make eyeglasses. Mm. You know, it's cheap labor. So they they pulled up in their armored golf cart. They drove me oh, to the spot. Guy was behind me the whole time and every time I had to walk past like a convict, they had to lean up against the wall with their hands behind them. Oh my gosh. Now so, were these women like hard looking or No, no, I huh? didn't see one hard looking chick. Really? So, yeah, that's why it, it wasn't quite Wentworth, but it was more oh. orange than the new black. Okay. You know it's funny, I'll come across these videos on TikTok of these girls who were in prison and they want like pen pals and stuff. Some of them look pretty hard. Like, um, like they'll, they'll fuck you up and not in a good way. (laughs) The guards, the guard with me was fucking with them. And he's like, he sent one of them to the tool shed. He's like, try not to murder anyone on the way there. So I'm not stuck with you for another 20 fucking years. Oh my god yeah, did, you get, did you get any wolf whistles from the inmates like woo fresh meat no no nothing <laughs> everyone was well behaved oh, that's good that's it was good. weird though man because i'm constantly like watching my back oh my gosh that, that's too funny that i did not know you're at i gotta tell irene that she's gonna get a kick out of that oh yeah man i was in a prison yeah here i thought you meant just work <laughs> no literal prison bro <laughs> Like, they had to come get me. I had to go back there. I wasn't allowed to bring it. If I brought tools in, like, if I brought my tool bag, I'd have to write down every tool I had. Oh, geez. So I was like, fuck that. Right. You know, not changing topic, but it looks like Terry's really excited for our next location. because She, she is. Scouted, she scouted, like, a restaurant in Long Island. Oh, yeah. Shh. Yeah. Oh, shh. Shh. Sorry. <laughs> Different movie. Yeah. We're gonna go meet the cast from Jersey Shore. Yep, <laughs> down in Secaucus. That's a that's a horror movie in itself. I love the so, Jersey Shore. You know, it's funny. I always have. I don't know why. It's the dumbest shit ever, but it's, it's always it's, made it, me it laugh. Sucks, it sucks you in. It does. And we were watching Hulu. You know how, like, if you're watching Hulu, if you have Hulu, your show ends, and then something else will queue up that you don't even watch. Well, that was the Jersey Shore, and it was the first episode. Oh wow! And it feels like. I mean, it, mind you, it was probably, what, 2005, 2006? And it feels so long ago. And I was just like, I can't watch it. It just sucked me in. Yeah, I, I've always watched it, man. I don't when know. I, when I was on a cruise and they were like, where are you from? I said, oh, Jersey. Oh, like the Jersey Shore, Snooky. I was like, no. No. No, 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 no. They're not even from Jersey. Not one cast member's from, I think maybe one was from Jersey and that was it. Yep. So... Yeah. All right. Anything else before we get into our... No, let's get into this two-part episode here. Yeah. So this is a story I've been wanting to tell for the longest time. We're going to do... This is going to be a two-parter. This one might be a little bit longer than the second part, but 
I first heard of this story back like in 1990 when I watched the what was it maybe NBC movie of the week. Like uh-huh. those those were the days, you know, like what's it gonna be this week and who's gonna be the guest star? And this family must have had a curse put on them because they've had two tragic stories. Neither has a, you know, one had a happy ending, but in the middle of the story. And it's about two brothers. And this is where good versus evil, I guess you could say. And uh, we're going to talk about Stephen and Harry Stainer. Stephen Stainer um, is the good son we're going to talk about. Good son. the good son, yes. And not the Macaulay Culkin good son. He was legit a good son. That was a crazy fucking movie, The Good Son. I gotta revisit that. <laughs> it, I remember it being really good. Yeah, because it was, you go from uh, Kevin to whatever his name was in this film, and like... Very dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Stephen Gregory Stainer, he was born April 18th, 1965, and he uh, died on September 16th, 1989, was an American kidnapping victim on December 4th, 1972. Seven-year-old Stainer was abducted in Merced, California by child molester Kenneth Parnell. Uh, let me just back up real quick. This whole, Both of these stories take place in Yosemite uh, National Park in okay. California. So the Stainers, their road, like the one main road, led up to Yosemite. Harry killed people in Yosemite. So, like, what are the freaking coincidences, okay? Uh, so, he was uh, kidnapped by child molester Kenneth Parnell. He was held by his abductor 38 miles away in Mariposa County, California, and later in Mendocino County, California, until he was age 14, when he managed to escape with another of Parnell's victims, Timothy White. All right. So Stephen Stainer was the third of five children born to Delbert and Kay Stainer in Mercer, California. He had three sisters and an older brother, Carrie. In 2002, Carrie was convicted and sentenced to death for the murders of four women, which we'll get to in part two. So we're going to talk a little bit about Kenneth Eugene Parnell, probably one of the most despicable men I've ever read. This guy is just disgusting. He was born September 26, 1931 and died on January 21st, 2008. Kenneth Eugene Parnell was born in Amarillo, Texas, to Cecil Frederick and Mary Olive during the region's Dust Bowl era during the Great Depression. He later moved with his mother, his two half-sisters, and a half-brother to Bakersfield, California, where his mother operated a boarding lodge. Parnell was raised mostly without his father, who abandoned the family when Parnell was six. After that time, he was in and out of juvenile custody for car theft and arson. In March 1951, Parnell was arrested for raping a young boy and impersonating a police officer. He was sentenced to four years in prison. Parnell had lured the child through use of a deputy sheriff's badge he bought at an Army-Navy surplus store. He escaped from a state institution in Norwalk but was recaptured. In a 2000 interview about his 1951 crime, Parnell said he kidnapped and molested the boy because his wife Patsy Dorton, who died in 2018, was pregnant and that he had to find another outlet. He claimed to have been married three times, but on, only one record of his marriage is known. Parnell married 15-year-old Patsy Joe Dorton in 1949, had a daughter in 1951, and divorced in 1957. Later that year, he married again and had another daughter. 
Parnell denied in that same interview having been sexually abused himself, although Mike Eccles' book, I Know My First Name is Steven, states that he was indeed molested at the age of 13 by a boarder in a rooming house that his mother owned in Bakersfield. More than a decade after the sodomy case, Parnell was convicted of armed robbery in Utah. While in prison for this charge, his second wife filed for divorce. Parnell claimed to have married a third and final time in 1968, but no records were ever found to substantiate this. Parnell's father, Cecil Frederick, died July 31, 1972, in Denver. On the afternoon of December 4, 1972, Stainer was approached on his way home from his school by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy, who had become acquainted with convicted child rapist Kenneth Parnell as they both worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. Hmm, there we go, Yosemite. Murphy described by those who knew him as a trusting, naive, and simple-minded man. He had been enlisted by Parnell, who had passed him, himself off to Murphy as an aspiring minister, into helping him induct a young boy so that Parnell could raise him in a religious-type deal, as Murphy later stated. Acting on instructions from Parnell, Murphy passed out gospel tracts to boys walking home from school that day, and after spotting Stainer, claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. Stainer later claimed that Murphy asked him if his mother would be willing to donate any items to the church. When the boy replied that she would, Murphy then asked Stainer where he lived and if he would be willing to take Murphy to his home. After Stainer agreed, a white Buick driven by Parnell pulled up and Stainer willingly climbed into the car with Murphy. Parnell then drove a confused Stainer to his cabin in nearby Pathies Valley instead. Unbeknownst to Stainer, Parnell's cabin was located only several hundred feet from his maternal grandfather's residence. Like, damn. 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 Parnell molested Stainer the first night at the cabin. Parnell began raping Stainer 13 days later on December 17, 1972. After Stainer told Parnell many times during that first week that he wanted to go home, Parnell told Stainer that he had been granted legal custody of the boy because his parents could not afford so many children and they did not want him anymore. Parnell began calling the boy Dennis Gregory Parnell, retaining Stainer's real middle name and his real birth date when enrolling him in various schools over the next several years. Parnell passed himself off as Stainer's father, and the two moved frequently around California, living in locations including Santa Rosa and Campeche. Parnell allowed Stainer to begin drinking at a young age and to go to come and go virtually as he pleased. Parnell had also moved from one menial job to another, some of his work requiring travel and leaving Stainer unguarded, causing an adult Stainer to remark he could have easily used these absences as opportunities to flee, but was unaware how to summon him. So if you think about it, this kid was mentally destroyed. Yeah. Almost like a Stockholm syndrome in a way, but he sheltered him from society so you know he's seven years old when he's abducted he doesn't know he probably doesn't i mean 911 wasn't an effect then i don't it might have been in early stages but i mean he went to school he played sports um wow. you know he had friends they sometimes would come over but he you know the places he lived in were dumb one of the few positive aspects of Stainer's life with Parnell was the dog he had received as a gift from him, a Manchester Terrier that he named Queenie. This dog had been given to Parnell by his mother, who was not aware of Stainer's existence during the period when he was being held by Parnell. For a period of 18 months, a woman named Barbara Matthias lived with Parnell and Stainer. According to Stainer, Matthias, along with Parnell, raped him on nine occasions at the age of nine. 
1975, on Parnell's instruction, Matthias tried to lure another young boy who was in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Stainer into Parnell's car. The attempt was unsuccessful. Matthias later claimed to have been completely unaware that Dennis had been kidnapped. As Stainer entered puberty, Parnell began to look for a younger child to kidnap. Parnell had used Stainer to attempt to kidnap children on prior occasions, but all the kidnapping attempts were unsuccessful. This caused Parnell to believe Stainer lacked the means to be an accomplice. Stainer revealed later that he had intentionally sabotaged these failed kidnappings, thinking Stainer was an incompetent criminal. Parnell cajoled one of Stainer's teenage friends, a local boy named Sean Poorman, into being an accomplice, promised him drugs and money. On February 13, 1980, Poorman noticed five-year-old Timmy White, who was playing outside his parents' house in Ukiah, California, and ushered him into Parnell's getaway car. When White refused and attempted to run indoors, Poorman shoved the boy against a chain-link fence, forced him to loosen his grip, then dragged him kicking and screaming into the car. Parnell made quick work in brainwashing White as he had done with Stainer's abduction, repeatedly trying to get White to think his new name was Tommy. Parnell paid off Poorman with a promised cash of marijuana, then ordered him to leave and never speak of the incident. Parnell also dyed White's blonde hair dark brown in order to mask his appearance from the forthcoming missing child posters. Ultimately, Parnell would pass White off as his younger son and Stainer's brother. White forged a bond with Stainer during the 16 days he was held captive and spoke favorably of how the older boy took care of him. Stainer determined to not see another child suffer the systematic sexual abuse that he endured, sought to return White to his parents. On March 1st, 1980, while Parnell was away at his night security job, Stainer left with White and hitchhiked into Ukiah. After they were unable to locate White's home, they went to a police station. By daybreak on March 2nd, 1980, Parnell had been arrested on suspicion of abducting the both boys. When the police checked into his background, they found a previous sodomy conviction from 1951. Both children were reunited with their families that day. In 1981, Parnell was tried and convicted of kidnapping White and Stainer in two trials. He was sentenced to seven years, but was paroled after serving five. Seven fucking years. Yeah. Especially, like, with his background. Yeah. You know, that's like a slap on a wrist. Parnell was not charged with the numerous sexual assaults on Stainer and other boys because most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of the Mercer County Prosecutor, or were by then outside the statute of limitations. So this is what they should have done. Go to the, the jurisdiction and, and have it there for each right where everything happened. <laughs> it's it's just it's sort of got the travesty. It's just sickening. The Mendocino County prosecutors, acting almost entirely alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell for the sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction. Parnell was tried for kidnapping Stainer and White, but not for sexual abuse. He was convicted of both kidnapping and served five years of a seven-year prison sentence. Edward Murphy, Parnell's accomplice from the Stainer kidnapping, was sentenced to five years imprisonment and paroled after two years. Sean Poorman, Stainer's school friend who abetted Parnell in the White kidnapping, was sentenced to a term in a juvenile work camp. Barbara Mathias, Parnell's girlfriend who lived with him and Stainer for some time, was never charged with any violation and cooperated with authorities in Parnell's trials. Murphy for helping kidnap Stainer and Poorman for helping kidnap White were convicted of lesser charges. Both claimed they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stainer. Mathias was never arrested. Stainer remembered the kindness Uncle Murphy had shown him in the first week of captivity while they were both under the influence of Parnell's manipulation, and he believed that Murphy was as much Parnell's victim as he and Timmy were. 
Sanders kidnapping and its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. So if you, you know, there was this great documentary on Hulu, uh, and this is the first time I ever saw a documentary, and it was called um, Captive America. It's a three-parter, and this was big news. You know, this was, you know, before Adam Walsh, you know, I mean, the kid was gone for, what, seven years or so, and, um, you know, the news crew were hounding him 24-7. They were on the roofs looking in the windows like he could not get uh just time with his family when he went to school they followed him into school and were videotaping him like on his first day and he seems like he's enjoying school but the one thing that he really could have benefited from was therapy and his father was totally against it because it was taboo you know and I think the father was just in denial. Um, and, you know, one thing that happened, and I didn't put it in the notes here, everything was great about him going back to school. He was making friends, but then they discovered nude photos of him. And the kids automatically thought he was gay. So uh-huh. that was uh, something that he had to, like, you know, the torment from the bullies and everything. Um his brother, if you, if you watch these videos, his brother is like in the background in one of the interviews, like doesn't even want to be there and decides to just walk off camera. Like you'll, we'll find out in the next part, the brother, you know, he's got some mental issues and, you know, um, he had to basically relearn his family all over again, because when they first saw, when they last saw him, he was seven years old. He's 14 now, Yeah, you know? So, they lost a good seven years and they missed some good years. You know, he's now a man, a young man. So after returning to his family, Sander had trouble adjusting to a more structured household as he had been allowed to smoke, drink, and do as he pleased when he lived with Parnell. In an interview with Newsweek shortly after his escape, Stainer said, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old. After they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have been better off if I didn't? And again, that's because of the brainwashing by Parnell. Stainer underwent brief counseling, but never saw additional treatment. He also refused to disclose all the details of sexual abuse he endured from Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stainer's sister said that her brother did not seek counseling because their father said Stainer didn't need any. She added, he got on with his life, but he was pretty messed up. He was bullied by other children at school for being molested and eventually dropped out. Stainer began to drink frequently and was eventually kicked out of the family home. His relationship with his father remained strained. In 1985, Stainer married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson, with whom he had two children, a daughter, Ashley, and a son, Stephen Jr. He also worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. He joined the Church of Jesus Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just before his death. At the time of his death, Stainer was living in Merced and working at a pizza shop. On September 16, 1989, Stainer sustained fatal head injuries while on his way home from work when his motorcycle collided with a car in a hit-and-run accident. The alleged driver of the car was later identified by witnesses. 500 people attended his funeral, at which 14-year-old Timmy White was a pallbearer. And in the interview, or the documentary, his sister 
was actually on her way to work and saw the accident, but didn't know that was her brother. But she saw the body and didn't know. White became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in 2005. Like Stainer, he gave lectures to children about his experience and the dangers of kidnapping. In 2004, Parnell was tried for human trafficking and attempting to kidnap a child, and White was summoned to testify. Also summoned was an adult, Sean Poorman, who reacted with shock, not having seen White since the 1980 kidnapping. The two spoke briefly and hugged, White having forgiven Poorman. White married a woman named Dina and had two children. However, as with this damn story, unfortunately, he died on April 1st, 2010 from a pulmonary embolism. On August 28th, 2010, a statue of White and Stainer was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. Residents of Ukiah also erected a statue representing White and Stainer escaping hand in hand, which is a really cool statue. And like, it's just like, wow, you know, it's White was a hero. Yep. Uh, you know, he died a hero and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a shame. It, he was go- taken way too soon. Who knows? His helping with these organizations could have led him to bigger things, too. All right. So in early 1989, a television miniseries based on his experience, I Know My First Name is Stephen, also known as The Missing Years, was produced. Stephen, taking a leave of absence from his job, acted as an advisor for Laura Mortel Pictures and had a non-speaking part playing one of the two policemen who escort 14-year-old Stephen, played by Corin Nemec, through the crowds to his waiting family on his return to Merced home. Although pleased with this dramatization, Stainer did complain that it depicted him as a somewhat obnoxious, rude person, especially towards his parents, something he refuted while publicizing the miniseries in the spring of 1989. The two-part miniseries was first broadcast by NBC on May 21st and 22nd, 1989. Screening rights were sold to a number of international television companies, including the BBC, which screened the miniseries in mid-July of the following year. Later still, it was released as a feature-length movie. The production, which received four Emmy Award nominations, including one for Nemec, was based on a manuscript by Mike Eccles, who had researched the story and interviewed Stainer and Parnell, among others. Excuse me. After the premiere, Eccles published his book, also titled I Know My First Name is Stephen. In the epilogue to his book, Eccles described how he infiltrated Nambla. In 1999, against the witches of the Stainer family, Eccles wrote an additional chapter about Stephen's older brother, Carrie, at the request of his publisher, which then republished the book. The title of the film and the book are taken from the first paragraph of Stevens' written police statement given during the early hours of March 2nd, 1980 in Ukiah. It reads, My name is Steven Stainer. I am 14 years of age. I don't know my true birth date, but I use April 18th, 1965. I know my first name is Steven. I'm pretty sure my last name is Stainer. And if I have a middle name, I don't know it. Stephen's story was also included in the book Against Their Will by Nigel Cawthorn, a compilation of stories of kidnappings. In April 2022, Hulu released a limited true crime docuseries, Captive Audience, a real American horror story, following the life of Stainer and his family and how the kidnapping impacted their lives. Particularly, particular attention was paid to how the events impacted the life of Carrie Stainer. The docuseries focuses heavily on the miniseries and featured appearance by both Corin Namek and Todd Eric Andrews, who played Carrie Stainer. And it was pretty cool seeing Corin Namek... Uh, reading like um the lines from like the so they have the 
man, they had the recordings of Steven Stainer, which they did use, but there was also transcripts. So they had the adult Coronemic reading those, which made it a little bit more powerful. Ten years after Stainer's death, the city of Merced asked its residents to propose names for city parks honoring Merced's notable citizens. Stainer's parents proposed that one be named Stainer Park. This idea was eventually rejected, and the honor was instead given to another Merced residence because Stainer's brother, Carrie, confessed to and was convicted of killing four women in Yosemite in 1999. Merced city officials feared that the name Stainer Park would be associated with Carrie rather than Stephen. While later it became a Los Angeles, while White later became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy, uh, as I said before, he died on April 1st, 2010 at age 35 from pulmonary embolism. Nearly five months later, on August 28th, 2010, the statue of Stainer and White was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. Residents of Ukiah, White's hometown, carved a statue showing a teenage Stainer with young White in hand while escaping their captivity. Fundraisers for the statue have stated that it is meant to honor Stephen Stainer and give families of missing and kidnapped children hope that they are still alive. Stephen's father, Delbert Stainer, died on April 9, 2013 at his home in Winton, California. He was 79 years year old. So we're going to get back to the 2004 conviction of Parnell. So in January 2003, Parnell was arrested again for after trying to coerce his character. This is, this is such like a crazy, well, what this guy is not a crazy story, but the balls on this guy, you know, in the 50s, in the 70s, and in the early 2000s. Um, so he tried to coerce his caregiver's sister, Diane Stevens, into buying him a four-year-old boy for $500. Parnell was by this time 71 years old and suffering from diabetes and emphysema, as well as other ailments brought on by an earlier stroke require, requiring nearly a 24-hour-a-day nursing care at his cluttered apartment in the 2600 block of Matthew Street in Berkeley. Stevens was aware of Parnell's past and cooperated with police in setting up a sting operation that would lead to his arrest. According to Diane Stevens' testimony, Parnell requested that the child have a clean rectum, indicating sexual intentions. He paid $100 for a birth certificate and had $400 on his person for the completion of the transaction when he was to receive the child on January 3rd, 2003. Parnell was arrested that day, subsequently telling authorities, I wanted a family. Timmy White, then a grown man, was subpoenaed to testify in Parnell's criminal trial. Although Stainer was dead, his testimony at Parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence into Parnell's 2004 trial. Parnell was convicted on February 9, 2004, on the charge of attempting to purchase a child and attempted child molestation, even though no child had been targeted. The prosecution successfully argued that sexual aids and pornography found in the apartment, along with Stevens' own testimony, were enough to prove that Parnell's intentions were criminal in nature. He was sentenced to 25 years to life under California's three-strikes law. Prosecutor Tim Wellman had largely argued his case before the jury by showing a slideshow of Stainer marked 1, then a white marked 2, and a blank screen marked 3 to show the non-existent child that would have been abducted had police not been notified. Wellman said Parnell was looking for one last hurrah, one last Stephen Stainer, one last Timmy White. Parnell remained incarcerated until his death at age 76 on July 21st, 2008 at the California Medical Facility in Bassaville, California. According to prison officials, Parnell died of natural causes. He had been under hospice care for some time. And I hope he's rotting in hell. So it says Stainer was dead too at this time, so he passed away also? 
Yeah, Stainer died uh, early mid '80s. They used his testimony from the original trial as evidence of the kind of person he is. Oh, that's right the 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 motorcycle crash. I'm an idiot. It's okay because I was reading yeah. about his dad. I'm like, well, I got it. Though. Oh yeah, it was yeah, his yeah. So it's funny how, but obviously the laws have changed since the early '80s. They'll use Stevens' prior testimony, but at Stevens' own trial, the kid couldn't get justice because statute of limitations or it's not in my jurisdiction. This guy could have been put away for life back then if they just went outside the box. <sighs> There's unlimited stories of this shit, so that's what's scary. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, there could be another Steven Stainer out there right now. Probably is. Yeah. Probably well, I was is. reading, speaking of, like, kidnapping, I've seen it on Facebook. I guess on one of the episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, there was a little girl who was kidnapped at age six. And because of this episode of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, they found her. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So this was The Good Son. Next week, we're going to focus on The Bad Son. And I remember hearing about the story. I guess, it, you know, of course, it was like on all the news, like Good Morning America and all that good stuff in Nightline. And I don't I don't ever remember the outcome. But then I remember a couple of years ago, 2020 was doing a special on it. I think it was like the anniversary. And it was like an hour long and I wanted more. And uh, <laughs> it, was such, it was such a good story. And with this documentary, they spent some good time on it, too. So uh, we'll get more into Carrie Stainer next week. Carrie Stainer next week. So make sure you like and subscribe if you're still here. Like and subscribe. And you know what? You guys are killing it with our Friday the 13th YouTube video. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you can share it, we're almost at a thousand likes on that or a thousand views. So come on, help us get to a thousand. We're pushing (laughs) Today we hit like 740 or something like that. Nice, We're moving. Man. We got the next one queued up. We just got to work on times. And I was thinking, we are close to New York City, and there's a ton of movies that were filmed in New York City. Yeah. Well, but we're going to need more than a day. <laughs> yeah, we'll need more than a day there. I mean, oh yeah, we could go Friday 13th, part 8. <laughs> For the two minutes it was on screen. Yeah, the two whole minutes. <laughs> like, oh, that was our filming locations. Uh, the rest was in uh, Canada, and we're not going to Canada. So see you guys later. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> what, we got Ghostbusters. Uh, oh, my what else God, yeah, there's so many. Chud, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. But the one we may do after this one may take us a little south. Okay, I'm drawing them. Oh, yeah, we're not giving them anything. Well, I don't even know. Yeah, text me. (laughs) Very easy to get to. Okay, sounds good. Uh, So, yeah, before we close it out, we're officially halfway to Halloween, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, do you have any pre-haunts before the season starts that you're going to? There's one Saturday, but I don't think I'm going to go. Where's that at? It is Hackney's Haunts in... Uh, I think it's Hackney's Haunts. Or is... I forget. Laurel's House of Horror? That's what it is. It's a Laurel's okay. House of Horror. It's a 
haunt that oh, took over a movie that, theater, yeah. which is kind of cool. cool. So that's down yeah. near Baltimore. But uh, I think we're done for the year. We're going to just start saving up, get our schedule hmm. ready, get our videos ready, get our tons so of are, Google Docs ready. Are you going to send uh, Rick Paul in a H365 shirt? Awesome. He doesn't know that yet. He might have just hired it. (laughs) That's awesome. But I got to ask him for the address anyway, so he knows it's going to come. Well, you should have his address. He mailed that to you. Oh, shit. And (laughs) my wife did say his address is on there. Well, Rick, you you got something coming. Ah, fuck it, though. There you go. But yeah, I'm going to reach out to some haunts in his area and see what I can't get him to. Nice. Yeah, so we got anything else? No, but I'm good. Damn, our shortest episode ever. I thought it'd be a little bit long. I tried to... I know, know that's like fine. It. We'll leave yeah. them in suspense. I'm cool with that. Yeah. I am cool with that. We got uh, news for us. We're working on that one video. We're working on that other video. We may be able to do them at the same time. Oh, okay. Because I'm. Th- I'll, I'll talk to you more about that in a little bit. All right. Because I have an idea. Okay. We could kill a couple birds with a one stone. Sounds good. And it cuts down on the driving for you, so. Okay. Maybe we could get Irene to come. Yeah, we got her animals, though. Uh, you won't be overnight or anything. Well, yeah, but it'll be a long day. Oh, my God. They'll be fine. I swear to God, your dogs <laughs> will not starve to death. The cats will not starve to death. Well, I'm not worried about the cats. It's just the dogs. Typically one dog. They'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Get one good. of those auto feeders. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, in Back to the Future with the alarm, the dog food. My dad has one for the cat. Really? Well, this is not a cat. It's a mountain lion. <laughs> oh, yeah, his, yeah. But yeah, I think we might even have one that we're not using. I'll talk to Terry about it. But guys, we're just rambling. Our Shed Podcast, every Monday. Like, subscribe, follow us on Twitch so you can watch us ramble and screw up and stuff. But uh, we will see you guys next Monday. Goodbye.